What you drinking? I just opened a 50 West American Lager. Ooh, sounds yummy, but kind of like a simple beer. It is. If Bud Light were a craft beer, that would be <laughs> this American Lager. <laughs> hey, I like that comparison. I feel like most people will be able to relate to that. Yeah, and I mean it it actually is it's a very good beer. Like it it tastes like beer. It's an American lager. It's a very simple beer. It's not something that I normally go for. But I was excited about it because my co-girl scout leader came over to plan Girl Scout cookie season with me on Friday. Mhm. And she brought me a six-pack of it cuz she said my husband and I normally drink Miller Lite, but I wanted to bring this for you because I was like, oh, Bev likes craft beer. So <laughs> she's like, I thought this one might be one that I would try. And she had it and she enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, see, like beer is kind of an acquired taste to begin with and craft yes. beer even more so. And I think this is a good stepping stone if anyone's interested in trying like locally brewed beer, but isn't used to it. Very cool. It's. I'm glad that you have a Girl Scout mom that is cool enough to sit down and drink with while you're planning out Girl Co- Girl Scout cookie season. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you open over there? So I am drinking a beer from Brewery Vivant, um, which is in Grand Rapids. I think I said that right. Um, but it is called Farmhand, and it is a farmhouse ale. And there's a rooster on the can. Mm. I kind of love it. Like, their logo has a rooster on it, too. Um, but I thought this was kind of cool because it talks about on the can that there was a time in old world France where nearly every family farm had its own brewery because it was, like, a necessary part of farm life. Oh, yeah. Uh, To provide a ration of beer to the laborers as beer was safer to drink than plain water. Yep. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So, and I like became a big fan of Michigan. Well, just farmhouse ales in general when we were down at Indianapolis for camp last year. So I was like super pumped that I found one up here that has roosters on it and it's yummy. So that's awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community, from hobby farmers to large-scale real deal farmers. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain, so hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those and stick them up on our Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So go to patreon.com slash drink and farm and sign up to become a Patreon. 
And that can be for like as little as $2 a month. We have all kinds of fun levels up there. But at $2, you're going to get exclusive recordings. Sometimes we throw pictures up there. And it's just an excellent way to support the podcast. And speaking of the Patreon, our drink peep this episode is Katie from at Sticky Holler Farms. So cheers, lady. Cheers. And uh, Katie has a really cool hashtag that she just started called Ear Bray Love for is donkeys. It, is it ear or is it eat? Nope, it's ear. Because, you know, donkeys have oh. really long ears. Oh. See, I read it so fast that I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I was so wrong. <laughs> I had corrected it the first time I did it to eat Bray Love because I just thought it was a typo. Uh-huh. And then I got it. I was like, oh, yeah, donkeys have really long ears. That totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a donkey, so my ignorance, I guess, is is expected. <laughs> Yours, you just thought you were fixing a typo. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is totally fair. But that is a pretty cute hashtag. And it I'm, is. And it's been fun seeing more donkey pictures in my feed. Oh, Same. Okay, so I have just a little bit of follow-up this week before we get into our fun stuff. All right. I learned after I was all done drawing the blood from the goats, which I talked about last week in episode 96, uh, I realized that I made some mistakes while I was doing it. So I wanted to share the mistakes I made so that maybe someone can learn from them, right? Sure. I mean, that's basically why we're here. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) So the first mistake I made during that whole thing was uh, I also vaccinated them while I did the blood draw. And so they were due for their CD&T vaccination. And when I went to TSC and bought the needles, I just kind of guessed. Like I had read some articles and tried to figure out what size and whatnot I needed. And I thought that I had found the right size, but I didn't realize that needles came in different lengths. So I guessed because I don't get cell service inside my TSC. I don't know if it's like something about what the building's made out of or like the like <laughs> jam signals or something. But anyways, so I bought 18 gauge one inch needles and I learned afterwards that a better size for Nigerian dwarf goats because they're so small would have been a half inch uh-huh. length on the needle. And a 20 gauge is a more appropriate width for the needle because the C, D, and T vaccine is really watery. And an 18 gauge is better suited for like a really thick, like syrupy vaccine, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So yeah, I mentioned that I had accidentally like poked the needle all the way through on the tenting and -hmm. then like squirted the vaccine through the other side. That's because my needle was too long. Half inch needle would have prevented that from happening. And the next mistake I made was that when I was drawing the blood, when we were removing the needle and the vacuum tube, I was the one that popped the vacuum tube on. So I was the one that pulled the needle and the tube out when it was all full. And I pulled them both out at the same time. But because they were vacuum tubes, a better way to do that would have been removing the tube off the bottom of the needle. And then once the suction was broken, then removing the needle. Because the tube was still vacuuming onto the needle when I was pulling it out, I was doing damage to the vein that we were drawing from because of that vacuum seal. Hmm. 
So I have checked their, you know, areas where we pulled the blood from and they all look fine. You know, they're a little bruised and whatnot because some of them we had to poke around just a little bit. So no serious damage is done by that, but it's more comfortable for your goat and better for if you find out that you have to do a second draw for whatever reason because of that vacuum tube doing damage to the vein. Sometimes that vein can't be drawn from again until it heals back up because otherwise it'll be like it's called a blown vein. It like gets all flat. (laughs) Yeah, humans have the same problem. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Exactly. So I was like, oh, I'm glad that I learned that. And that was really important to learn because while I was packaging up the tubes to send them off, I noticed that the paperwork that I had for the blood draw didn't have a box to indicate that I wanted a biosecurity panel or like which uh, like which tests from the biosecurity panel I wanted because not everybody does all three. I wanted all three because this was our first time doing it. So I was like, well, might as well, you know, make sure everybody's all good. And it just had something called bioprin on it which is b-i-o-p-r-y-n and a quick search to the google told me that that's just a pregnancy test which i obviously don't need not yet (laughs) (laughs) not yet at all so i went back to that original lab that i talked about in the yonis episode uh Mm -hmm. It's called Sage Ag Labs, and I printed out their paperwork, so I was like, well, I'm already familiar with them, so I'll just pay them and get it done, because I was using a lab that the breeder had sent to me, but I think she just accidentally sent me the wrong link. She sent me the link for the lab that she uses for her pregnancy tests. Uh Aha. So anyways, while I was filling out their paperwork, though, and I went on to check their packaging instructions because it's blood tubes. So there's Mm -hmm. like rules about marking the box properly and marking the bag properly. Well, for Bioprin, it's a pregnancy test. It doesn't require that the tubes be refrigerated after you pull the blood. So I didn't refrigerate them. I just threw them on my desk because I'd already read the instructions. Mm -hmm. Well, for the biosecurity panel, the tubes are supposed to be refrigerated. Mm. Whoops. (laughs) So I was like, oh, shit, am I going to have to redraw this blood? Like, that was so difficult. I do not want to do it again so soon. I mean, I guess we had some practice, so it probably would have gone a little better. Mm -hmm. But also, I blew the veins out. So (laughs) it probably wasn't going to go all that great for a second time either. Uh, But I messaged the lab on Facebook, and they were actually really responsive. They responded to me the next day because I stuck them in the fridge as soon as I realized that their instructions said that they need to be refrigerated. And they said, oh, it's no big deal. Just next time, please refrigerate them, which I was kind of like, well, either they have to be refrigerated or they don't. So am I going to pay shipping to like send you something that's not going to be usable? But I don't know. They said send them. So I sent them. I've confirmed the lab has the blood tubes. Hopefully I'll have results like next week or the week after and before anybody goes into heat. (laughs) Well, and it's not like the end of the world if it doesn't happen in time, because lucky for us, they go into heat every single month. (laughs) That is true. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of looking forward to five months of no heats over here for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, it goes faster than you think. (laughs) It does, right? (laughs) And sometimes you think they're still in heat when they're not. Surprise! Sometimes they're still whiny little bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to goats. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So this week, our main episode topic is about hen fever. And when I originally saw the episode topic, I thought it was a disease. 
<laughs> until Bev explained to me what it actually is. And it's an article from nationalgeographic.com called The Forgotten History of Hen Fever by Emmeline Rude. During the mid-19th century, there were a ton of economic bubbles. Uh, One of them was the speculative bubble in Latin America. Then there was a land bubble and a railroad bubble. And then there was another railroad bubble. And as sure as each was to swell spectators' pockets, they would all eventually burst, leaving thousands of people in fiscal ruins. So in layman's term, if you don't know what a bubble is, it's when everybody thinks that something's going to be really, really big, so lots of people buy a lot of it or invest a lot of money in it, and then it hits the top of that bubble and it bursts, and everybody that has one of whatever it is that the bubble was about, they're broke afterwards because they spent all their money on it. So people were buying bubbles of Latin America. That one I don't get. I'm like, speculative bubble of Latin America. I was too lazy to Google it. So I guess if somebody knows what that is, they can like tell us and we'll correct ourselves next week. Right. I mean, it was in the article. So I was like, well, I'll leave it because maybe somebody knows what that means. I almost deleted it because I was like, this makes no sense. (laughs) Maybe they were speculating that Latin America was going to do something. (laughs) and now they're not i'm so confused anyways (laughs) the real reason we're here is because there is a forgotten economic bubble it was much smaller but it was no less significant and it was the chicken bubble so from roughly 1845 to 1855 the united states was infected with a craze of hen fever And it was an obsession with owning and breeding the world's finest chickens. I mean, I feel like I have that right now. Right. And I think a lot of people have that right now. And that's one of the reasons why I thought this topic was so fascinating. Because we're basically in another hen fever. (laughs) But I feel like without quite the investment that happened in this one. I don't know. Think about (laughs) Silicon Valley and how we've talked about like their bougie chicken coops out there. Oh, good point. Maybe it just depends on where you live in your socioeconomic situation. But history does seem to be repeating itself. It does. And it's really funny because there was this book that was written shortly after the hen fever bubble burst, and it's called The History of Hen Fever, A Humorous Record, and it was written by this guy, George P. Burnham. I'm trying to find a copy of it. I have not been successful at finding a copy of the book, but I have seen (laughs) pictures of it, and it is definitely a humorous record. But he said... Never in the history of modern bubbles did any mania exceed in ridiculousness or ludicrousness or the number of its victims surpass this inexplicable humbug. Oh, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, he had some time to think through that process of that sentence. He (laughs) did. A little extra. (laughs) Kind of like hen fever. It was, what, the 1850s? I think everyone was pretty extra in their language, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It was a finer time. Oh. So the hen fever pandemic actually started with Queen Victoria. She was a young monarch and was incredibly fond of her royal menagerie which included a a collection of exotic birds and beasts, and they were constantly being refilled by her brave British explorers returning from their adventures abroad. Like, could you imagine 
being a queen and just like these guys going off and like bringing you animals back. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yes, please. (laughs) It sounds like my dream life. Can I be that when I grow up, please? (laughs) I mean, maybe they used to have to pee in like bedpans right by the side of the bed. So I don't know if that's a good enough trade off for me. Yeah. Can I be that? But with modern plumbing? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to Jared. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1842, Queen Victoria received a gift of seven exotic chickens from the Far East known as Cochin China Fowl. And they were just plain old Cochins with a fancy name because they were exotic, which Cochins are pretty damn cute. So I can see why she was excited. Yeah, they are super cute. And the queen and her fellow countrymen had never seen anything like these birds before with their slender legs, their elongated necks, and vibrant auburn feathers, ending with a flourish of a green and black tail. Um, These elegant Asian fowl made quite a contrast to the scruffy chickens native to the British Isles. I mean, I've got to think that they're describing a rooster there, but Probably. even the hen cochins are yes. quite uh, striking as well. <laughs> they're freaking adorable. They are. So the queen was immediately smitten with her new cochins and built them a new and extravagant aviary, which was soon filled with other exotic breeds like the Shanghai. So basically, Queen Victoria was like the first person to build a bougie chicken coop. Mm, She would have done so well on Instagram. (laughs) She would have. And she would spend hours luxurating with her flock over tea, which made me think, was she the original drinking with chickens? Or maybe the original hashtag drink and farm. <laughs> right. Well, I picked drinking with chickens because she's so much fancier than we are. <laughs> she is. That is true. <laughs> and once her cochins bred, she immediately sent their eggs to her royal relatives throughout Europe, who too were quickly abuzz over these exotic fowl. So the society papers got wind of the queen's new hobby and the English eagerly emulated their monarch's passion. And by 1845, Victorians of all economic classes were breeding and exchanging exotic and exorbitantly priced birds or chickens. Yes. (laughs) And soon Americans were influenced by this and caught the hen fever too, which was evident in the pomp and circumstance of the Boston Poultry Show of 1849. Over 10,000 spectators swarmed the public gardens to view a... basically like a shit ton of birds and they were chirping screeching and squawking but it was magnificent and from the public garden of boston the pox of chickens fascination spread to doctors lawyers farmers merchants and tradesmen of every color basically everybody so Yeah, and the inaugural show hatched a second show in Boston the following year, and then there was a national show in New York. And then within the next half decade, local and regional exhibitions were popping up throughout the country, all featuring an ever-growing number of new, exotic, and expensive chicken breeds. So if one wanted to pinpoint the beginning of the chicken industry in the United States, this was probably it. Because for the first time in the nation's history, the chicken was important. Because up until this point, chickens were considered so lowly that landowners neglected to record them as property in their farm inventories. 
But now poultry fanatics were spending a dollar on a single egg or up to $120 on a breeding pair, which is the equivalent to $30 and $3,600 today. Dang. <laughs> and I thought my habit was bad. <laughs> right? I mean, I have I have yet to spend $3,600 on a pair of breeding chickens, but yeah, I'm only know. in my 30s, so I still have time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when you retire. <laughs> As an adult, I never want to stop anywhere after work. I just want to get home, wrap up farm chores, and do nothing. The last thing I want to do is stop at the feed store and stare at a variety of products to make decisions on what I may or may not need for my flock. It can be super overwhelming, and unless I'm buying myself something fun from the farm decor section, I don't even want to go in there. And this is exactly why I love Honey and Rue. Henny and Rue is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flock. It takes the guesswork out of which products you should try because someone that has experience with chickens has hand-selected the products. In each box, you'll find six to eight chicken keeping supplies like treats, medical or health products, books or magazines, and a couple of fun and useful chicken-themed items for you, the chicken keeper. So go to hennyandrue.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first subscription box. So up until 1845, the chicken was also thought to be a mongrel of the farmyard, and it was left to roam freely and spread its genetic material in whatever ways its bird brain saw fit. And that sounds like super dramatic. And like (laughs) the bird was just basically like whoring it up. (laughs) It does kind of. But you know, I've watched my roosters out there. I so... Yeah, I, I'm going to go on a little tiny farm tangent. I was outside yesterday and I could hear this commotion coming from the woods and it was one of my hens. And I was like, oh, no, she wandered into the woods and something's like chasing after her. So I run in there. It's just one of my roosters trying to mate with her. And she oh, yeah. was like not having it. But he was not taking no for an answer. So, I mean, I get why this sentence was written that way. <laughs> yeah, it- we have roosters here that'll like team up and take turns on one hen and like chase her around the yard. Like Aww. they can be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but all of these shows in New York and Boston created standards of judging and perfection, causing self-proclaimed hen men to develop what are now coveted as heritage breed chickens. Okay, hold on for a second. Can we start calling our listeners that are men, hen men? Ooh, or maybe our husbands, too. Hen yes. Men? I don't know if Matt would like that very much, I don't think but... Jared would like it either, but I saw hen men, and I was like... Hashtag hen men. <laughs> so the most notable variety to come out of hen fever was the robust and fluffy Brahma. And it is known as the king of all poultry. And I do love my Brahmas so much. Oh, yeah. And what's really funny is that guy that wrote the book, The Humorous History of Hen Fever, George P. Burnham, he actually sent some Brahmas to an excited and grateful Queen Victoria in 1852. So fun history fact. Yes, (laughs) I do love that. While the emphasis of the hen fever was on the bird's external beauty, the outcome had an unintended impact on the American plate as well. With more chickens came more eggs, which meant that what we considered a great thinking food was now increasingly a democratic food as well. And Cheap Eggs remarked one editorialist, 
for the New York Times in 1854, said, Then is the practical and excellent issue of the poultry fever. And for this reason and this reason alone, the country should let it rage. Which I just (laughs) love. I love that, too. What a great way to say that. Let it rage. Let it rage. (laughs) But as quickly as the fascination with fowls spread, the chicken bubble burst. And in the 19th century version of the Beanie Babies craze, it was through. Which I like that comparison, too. It's just too good. (laughs) It was. It was a great comparison. Because we all remember the Beanie Baby craze, right? Hell yeah. I had a decent amount. Did you? I didn't go nuts, but I had some. Okay. I think I had a handful, too, but I was never very good at, like, leaving things in the packages or leaving the tags on, so nothing I ever tried to collect would have been made money. (laughs) (laughs) Same. By 1855, the market was oversaturated with expensive chickens that suddenly no one seemed to have any interest in anymore. Where once these chickens were so valuable, fanciers hired bodyguards to protect their chicken coops, which is pretty awesome, but kind of extreme. (laughs) The prices commanded by exotic fowls as the pandemic started to wane barely covered the freight cost of shipping them over to Asia. (laughs) Womp womp. Yes. And one disgruntled chicken owner said, and I quote, You can't get rid of these birds. (laughs) It's useless to try to sell them. You can't give them away. Nobody will take them. You can't starve them, for they are fierce and dangerous when aggravated and will kick down the strongest store closet door. And you can't kill them, for they are tough as rhinoceroses and tenacious of life as cats. So basically, chickens have nine lives. That's hilarious. Well, and now now we know that chickens are, you know, descendants of dinosaurs. So that's a pretty accurate description. It really is. (laughs) Also, very dramatic from that disgruntled chicken owner. I, I wish that we could interview that individual but alas they're probably been long dead i wish we talked like they did in the 1850s it's so flourishing yes (laughs) it is so while some struggled with their lingering birds our friend george p burnham at least found a way to properly dispose of what was once a feathered fortune He made a glorious Shanghai dinner, which featured soup a la Shanghai, broiled Shanghai chickens, fricasseed Shanghais, stewed Shanghai chickens, curried Shanghai fowls, coddled Shanghai stags, and Shanghai chicken pie. So basically, he ate all his fancy chickens. (laughs) I mean... It probably had to be, like, oddly satisfying for them in that situation if you're just kind of over it. Yeah, if you've invested a ton of money in them (sighs) expecting to make a huge return. Like, imagine being on the tail end of that bubble. Like, that would have been a pretty expensive chicken bullet to buy you. Yes, it would have. And today we may have much less exotic tastes, but the fever for eating chicken and eggs still remains strong. But since about one-third of the of chicken breeds face extinction thanks to our reliance on a few standard breeds, maybe it's time we start diversifying our chicken flocks again, which is exactly why I like going with my pet chicken because I can buy 18 different breeds at once and nobody yells at me. Right. <laughs> Except for maybe my husband when he sees the receipt. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. that's so awesome. Diversification of the chicken. Yep. I feel like we need a t-shirt with that on there. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I think we can make that a thing. Yeah. But that was fun. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I yeah. thought that that... So first of all, I had no idea that something like that has happened before. Mm-mm. Because, you know, like, backyard chicken keeping is kind of a craze. Now, I mean... I still sometimes refer to it as a newer craze, but when you think about it, it's really been going on for like at least a decade or so now at this point, mm-hmm. right? I think so. I mean, and I kind of just stumbled into it because the house we bought had them. And then I went full on like chicken bubble. I will not lie. We went crazy. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so many chickens and I really got to like monitor myself. (laughs) (laughs) But I have not gotten rageful and eaten any of my chickens because I thought I had too many. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) See, and I moved across the country specifically so that I could get chickens but here I've been like trying to keep my crazy chicken lady tendencies under control and I only have 15 you you're doing so well (laughs) yeah I am I have I think I have eight coming this spring from my pet chicken so it's gonna grow my flock pretty significantly but we also lose just a couple a year especially during the summertime Mm -hmm. um so I'll probably end up having like 20 this time next year, which is still, I mean, kind of a lot considering there's just four of us here to eat the eggs. <laughs> yeah. And I just tell people I have 70 when it's probably closer to 100 and I really have no clue. So even if I, after I get the like eight or nine I'm getting from my pet chicken, I'll still say I have 70. Yeah. <laughs> Your flock just doesn't grow after 70. It's it so doesn't. youthful and it's young. It's kind of like I'll, I've never actually turned 30. I'm just perpetually going to be 29. Like yeah. the same attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Yes. So Bev, tell me what you can't even about on the internet this week. So mine is a tad old. It's from a few months ago, but I saw it for the first time this week, and it's a pot-bellied pig finds his soulmate in a chicken. Aww. And I just thought this story was so cute. So Arnold is a seven-year-old pot-bellied pig, and he's actually gone through a lot of change in his life. He's had three previous homes besides the one that he was currently in at the time that this article was written. And that happens because pigs often wind up homeless or neglected once people realize that they're super smart animals who require a lot of time and attention. And you can attest to that. You have a wonderful pot-bellied pig, right? He's a Juliana. So oh, that's he right. will only be like 50 pounds. But pigs actually take like three or four years to become full grown. So I think that's part of it, too. They just don't realize how big they're going to get. And there's nothing truly mini <laughs> about a pig even like the smallest breed you can get they're still very powerful animals and they can hurt you yeah and they can do a lot of property damage too Mm -hmm. if you don't give them enough to stimulate them or spend enough time with them yeah for sure thankfully for arnold there's been one thing in his life that's been a source of constant comfort and that's his friend sammy which is arnold's pet hen oh it's so cute it is Arnold and Sammy bonded at his current home, and it turns out that Arnold is actually almost blind. He can't see very well, so Sammy, his hen friend, makes him feel calm, 
And also, Sammy standing on Arnold's back isn't only adorable, it's a way that they feel connected. And it turns out that Arnold is currently being given up by his current family. And so this is kind of an old article. It's like six months old. So he's now been rehomed to a sanctuary. And it's really cool because the sanctuary actually did a GoFundMe to have a barn built specifically for Arnold and Sammy so that they could live out the rest of their days on their sanctuary. And I tried to find some follow up to see like where they are now. But you know how viral (laughs) things on the Internet are like sometimes it's impossible to find the new information. So I didn't find anything. But still, I thought it was super cute, and it reminded me of, I just watched that movie, The Littlest Big Farm, last week. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Was it good? Yeah, it's really good, and it's on Hulu, so you can watch it for free if you've got Hulu. I do. Yes. And there is a pig in there who has a rooster as a best friend. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so it kind of reminded me of that. And I thought that was really cute. And it was funny. Aurora watched it with me. And she's like, Mom, can we get pigs so that our chickens can be friends with them? I'm like, you got to ask your dad. I (laughs) would have pigs. But I think he's got something to say about it. (laughs) Probably. So that's it. I just thought it was so cute. I love interspecies relationships. I don't know what it is about them, but I think that they're adorable. (laughs) They are. Yes. And there's all kinds of internet videos about that same thing. And like lions hanging out with, you know, dogs or some random pairing. It's just mind blowing. (laughs) It's so funny. So what's your can't even this week? So mine is from an article from WNEM.com in the world news section. And the title reads, Indian man dies after getting attacked by his rooster on the way to a cockfight. <laughs> Talk about karma. No kidding. <laughs> but what's even crazier is like how it happened. So I'm not even going to try to say this guy's name, but his last name is Rao. He was 50 years old and he was hit in the neck with a blade tied to the rooster's claw on January 15th. A police spokesman told CNN the father of the of three, which is super sad, was taken to the hospital where he later died from a stroke. So wait, rooster spurs aren't good enough for cock no. We have to tie blades yes. to their feet? Yes. And this isn't the first place I've read that this week that that's what they do. Oh my gosh. So cockfighting has been illegal in India since 1960. However, animal fighting continues to be a problem in the country. So, um, yeah, that's a big bummer for him and his family and just the country. Like, it's illegal. People are still doing it, which, I mean, that happens everywhere. Yeah. So, um, a, ni- a 2014 Supreme Court judgment clarified the ele- illegality. Wow, I can't talk today. <laughs> clarified <laughs> the illegal. It's illegal. Don't do it. Um, under India's Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. And in 2015... Um, the judgment was used to intervene in a state court petition to lift the ban of cockfighting, but the ban was upheld. So it's still like a lot, a big part of their culture. So it's hard, like when there's a shift culturally, um, it's going to take a while to eradicate it. And apparently it's going to take like over 50 years in this case. Yeah, you know, because it's something that the country relies on to make money. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so, I mean, you know, the, when industries end up going by the wayside, there's always struggle like that. Even if it's something like we're not used to that. So the idea to cockfighting for us, we're like, ooh. <laughs> but I mean, like, what were you doing? Like, if you're on the way to the cockfight and you have your rooster with a blade on the leg like why wasn't the rooster like more secured <laughs> like how did it how did it stab you <laughs> like oh I my mean, gosh maybe some good advice to give is wait until you get to the cockfight to tie the knives on oh yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know either maybe i'm just rationalizing that too much <laughs> we might be <laughs> So be sure and send us your can't evens. You can give them to us in our Facebook group via Facebook Messenger on Instagram, or you can email them to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. We're going to use your can't evens in some really fun minisodes where we talk about some of the things that you guys can't even about. So be sure and send them over if you come across one. And make sure you leave us a review. Um, What we've been doing is reading our favorite Apple podcast review of the week. And if you don't have an Apple product, but you have a laptop, you can download iTunes onto your laptop and leave a review that way. And what we do is we take all the reviews we read for the month and draw a name out of the hat. And that person will win an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in our shop. So make sure you leave your Instagram Instagram handle or some way for us to find you. Um, So if we read your review and you win the drawing, we can find you. Yes. So this week's review is actually a couple of months old now. (laughs) But it's from Lay Mall 2. Um, And she says, love it. It's an awesome podcast to people who care for others and their animals. They understand the world today and express the trials of navigating it while trying to live the more natural life. I just wish Sam talked a little less in the third person and there was a bit more of their personal lives. But that wasn't me talking in the third person right there. I was literally reading. (laughs) Just want to make that known. (laughs) They make me laugh and I generally enjoy their conversations. So I will say that I have caught myself doing that more now. So I will take this as constructive criticism of talking in the third person. (laughs) Because I didn't know I was doing it that much until I was told. So... (laughs) But I did read, I did read that it's actually like not a narcissistic thing to do that. It's a way to like, like protect yourself. And you actually think like that you're like a confident person. So there's a fine line between narcissism and confidence. So I feel like I was probably like treading that on accident. (laughs) I was gonna say I, I catch myself talking in the third person every now and then. And for me, it's a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Because I'm talking to myself in the third person. It's not me actually experiencing it or me actually talking about something wrong or good about myself. So like from a mental standpoint, it removes me from the equation, Mm -hmm. even though I'm talking about myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It makes it easier in my brain. I know that kind of sounded convoluted, but <laughs> no, no, I think I read something along those lines too, that it's, to, it's like that defense mechanism. So it's definitely, I will say for you, especially, it's not a narcissism thing because you are not narcissistic, like at all. <laughs> if either of us has ego, it's probably me. And that's just like all the theater shit that I used to do. <laughs> 
No, but it's good to have a good, healthy ego, though. Like, trust me, from someone who, like, isn't very nice to myself on the inside, I've been building that up a lot, and it feels so much healthier yes. to like yourself. Like, yes. from a personal standpoint. There's my personal moment for the episode. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> Sam's personal moment. I had a burp stock for... A long time, guys, but I pushed through for you. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a Patreon, you'll get to listen to all of that over on <laughs> patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. So go join if you haven't yet. <laughs> all right, moving on and closing this thing out. Um, if you haven't heard already, Coop Camp 2020 has been announced and will take place just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, June 5th through 7th. And we're going to be there. And if you don't know what it is, it's basically like a chicken people conference. It's awesome. Yeah, we have a couple of episodes all about it. So if you don't know what it is, go to our website and search for our Coop Camp episodes on there and you'll get to hear quite a few of them and they're really good. And it was just it was such a mind blowing experience. So if you're a crazy chicken person like we are, we kind of assume you might be if you're listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, definitely check it out. For sure. And I want to point out that if you're just a crazy poultry person in general, I saw that day-old waterfowl inventory has been updated on mypitchicken.com. So if you need to place that order for your geese or your ducks or if you're strictly chickens and you want them to know that we sent you over there, use the uh, URL mypetchicken.com slash drinkandfarm. Yeah, because shopping our sponsors supports the show. Yes. Then be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on the Instagram and your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. Not only will we reshare it because we think that you're awesome when you share us, but we'll also send you a promo code that's good just for that episode that'll give you a percentage off in our shop. And we have some super cool stuff in our merch shop. Yes, yes. And check out the show notes. You're going to find a link to the article we discussed today. There's a survey that you can fill out that's anonymous to tell us how we're doing. And let us and we can also lead you to all of our social media goodness in that merch shop. So that's it. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Yeah. And we hope that you'll come back and listen to next week's episode because we'll be in February. Like, holy crap already it'll be my birthday week i know i was just gonna say i thought that the 100th episode was gonna drop around my birthday i think it's actually gonna drop around your birthday or closer to your birthday yeah my birthday is a february 6th yeah oh that's right oh that's right you're february 6th and i'm march 6th so we're exactly a month apart (laughs) so creepy i'll never forget your birthday again (laughs) the internet brings people together (laughs) yes it does oh and if you think you have hen fever also let us know by commenting on the instagram post about this episode because we want to know you if you have hen fever like us (laughs) yes so until next time drink farm and and give zero clucks (laughs) bye guys bye We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. My Pet Chicken's mission is to make life easy and fun for urban and backyard chicken owners with our line of products, free information, tools, and resources. And do they ever deliver? 
You can mix and match a wide variety of chicken breeds in your order. If you're not sure which chickens are right for you, there's a handy pick a chicken breed selector tool. They also sell goslings and ducklings if you want to add some waddling additions to your farm. There's a wealth of information on the website to support you as a chicken keeper too. So go to mypetchicken.com slash drinkandfarm to put in your chick, duckling, or gosling order. That link lets them know that we sent you and it's a great way to support our podcast and fulfill all of your poultry addiction needs. 